0: All right, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. And as we transition into the preaching of your word, we pray that we focus on what your spirit is speaking to us. And I personally pray that you help me in the preaching of your word, Father. May we hear from you and may we walk in obedience to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, uh, kids up to the age of three can go to the back. And for us, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter chapter 4. We're still walking along in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in verses 17 through 24 today. Walking in newness of life is the title of the sermon. And uh, I'll just get right into it. Read verses 17 through 24, and then we'll do a recap to catch up to today. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that... in a sort of a transition in Paul's writing. uh, The first transition we experience, major transition we experience, is going from chapter 3 to chapter 4. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul talks about the life that that we have in Christ, the hope that we have in Christ. And then from chapters 4 to 6, he begins to speak about how we need to walk in newness of life, or how we need to walk in that hope that we have. So that's the the first major transition in the letter, Uh, but there's a, a, a minor transition within even chapter four because Paul begins or he ends uh, chapter three speaking about unity, praying for unity, and then he spends most of his time in chapter four speaking about this unity and also speaking about where this unity should end um, within the church. So <clears throat> when we look at chapter four, we see that Paul's hope for the church is that they be strengthened Uh, Through fellowship. So, what Paul is saying here is that uh, it's my hope that the church be strengthened through uh, wonderful, uh, godly unity, and we see that in verses one through three. So, if you have your Bibles with you, let's just read that real quick, and and so that we can get better context about our verses today. Verses one through three says, "I therefore, a prisoner for for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called." Now listen to this, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, right? So Paul's telling the church, you need to walk with humility and gentleness and patience. Why? So that you can bear with one another in love and so that you can be eager, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So that's Paul's hope for the church in Ephesus, that they could be strengthened through fellowship. Now after that, look at verses 4 through 6. Paul points out the basis of their unity. They weren't just to unify for unity's sake, just to keep the peace. Paul's saying, look, listen, the reason why you need to unify is because you are united. You're not, you're not, maybe you're not kin, blood, but, but you're united in Christ. Look at verses four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord One faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul says we need to unify because we are already united in Christ. And the bond that we have, there is no other bond like it. Not even the bond of of blood of of us having the same blood, having the same kin to one another uh, from a, a, a biological standpoint. Paul is saying here, no, the bond that you have goes beyond um, biology, goes beyond the human aspect, it goes into the spiritual realm, and you are united under Christ. You're n- united because you have one God, you have one Savior, and you have one Spirit. So we have God that unites us. Therefore, you and I, as a church, and also outside of our church, God's universal church, we have a duty to unite with our brothers and sisters and to live in a, to live in unity. Now, Paul reminded the church that God has brought together uh, people, different people. He has brought together diversity so that the body can be strengthened. That's the challenge of us uniting. It's, It's uniting and coming together because of our differences is a difficult, difficult thing. Our dealing with our differences is a difficult thing, but that's the way God intended it. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, skip down with me to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? And, and pay attention to all those different uh, leadership roles in the early church. They're all called to the same thing, uh, to for the glory of God and and the the advancement of the gospel but they are different and their differences equip the saints verse 12 for the work of ministry for a building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God has brought diversity together so that we could be strengthened in the Lord and and he could use each one of us in the way he has created us, in the way he has intended to use us for the building up of the church. Now, after this, Paul speaks to the end goal of, of, of this unity that we have. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, verse 15, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. For whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that was a, a real quick recap of what we've been preaching the last several weeks. Uh, we've been po- focused on the unity of the church, but also, and and more specifically, unity within the family, because we we don't want to separate those two. Uh, there's the, the fellowship of the saints, you know, the, the gathering of, of, of God's people that we do on Sunday morning. This applies to that, but then also on the smaller scale, the unity that Paul is speaking about here goes home with you, and it applies to your family. Why? Because your family is part of the church. Your family is part of the church, and, and we should be living uh, like we do within the larger gathering of uh, the believers of Christ. So Now we come to our our verses 17 through 24. And I read all that just so that we can have a good understanding of this theme of unity. I don't want us to lose that. And verses 17 through 24, Paul is still speaking about that. He's still still teaching about what unity does when we have wonderful and and, and genuine fellowship with one another. So our verses, verses 17 through 24, they're going to teach us how sinful people... Sinful people like us. And yes, I know we're forgiven, but yet we sin, right? So we can be classified as sinful people. We're just sinful people um, who are forgiven through the grace of God or by the grace of God. So how sinful people can experience, number one, spiritual unity, that how we can experience this unity that Paul is talking about, and then also how we can experience growth. And... Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm done growing physically. I'm not going to get any taller. I have a problem growing sideways. I'm trying to fix that. I know many of us are. But but the growth that Paul talks about is spiritual, inwardly, right? Because the Bible says outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So how can sinful people like us be united with all of our differences? And then secondly... How can sinful people like us grow spiritually? Well, number one, when we look at our passage, right away, verse 17, Paul says, you must no longer walk as unbelievers do. Uh, More specifically, he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So if we want to grow, if we want to be united, and if we want to grow spiritually, we must no longer walk as unbelievers do. Now, I know each one of us, we all have a testimony. And that testimony points to who we were before Christ. Now, we can, we can play back in our minds of how we were before Christ. And we were, we were lost, right? We were completely lost. And if we look back now... After Christ has saved us, he has justified us, he has renewed us. We look back now, we look back at what we used to do, and we're, in a sense, we're ashamed of that. Very ashamed of that, but in the other sense, we're very grateful that, that we have been forgiven in Christ for that. That Jesus died on the cross for those sins that we committed, and also the sins that we commit today, and the sins that we'll commit tomorrow. But, but our life is a whole lot different now. Because we no longer live in that way. And listen, we should never go back to it. But we, we fight this urge to, to go back. Because the flesh lived that way for so long. We were in a sense comfortable in that lifestyle. And it's this battle, this internal battle, to not go back to the way we were. And that's where Paul starts off with this church. And he says, listen... If you are going to unite as you should, and if you are going to grow spiritually, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Paul, when he writes this to the Ephesian church, he is referring to their life before Christ as well. And he had already addressed their former life and how they used to live Earlier in the book, turn with me just a couple pages back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 for you. This is where Paul describes their life before Christ. He says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So let's go back to Ephesians 4. Paul's already, he's already shown the church, this is the way you were. Now here in Ephesians 4, Paul's saying, don't go back to that. It, it's futile. It, it, it's, 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 is it futile or futile? Whichever the way it is, It's useless. Don't go back to that lifestyle. Well, what would they be going back to? Well, remember, we've already mentioned that here in Ephesus, the people here were idol worshipers. They they worshiped the goddess, the Greek goddess Diana. And the Greek goddess Diana, well, she was considered the goddess of animals, of hunting, and also fertility. Now, imagine what kind of worship they did in her name. So these Christians that Paul is talking about are talking to, well, they're former idol worshipers. They heard the gospel and they came to Christ. They came to saving the saving knowledge of Christ. But they live in this idol worship for a very, very long time. Just like you lived in your idol worship for a very, very long time before you came to Christ. Now, what's interesting here is that the people of Ephesus, concerning Diana, they had this huge statue in the city, and they would, they would worship before it. And they, they thought that this statue came from outer space somewhere. That it just came down like a ball of fire and landed. And then, then at that point, it was a gift from the gods. So they worshipped it, according to legend, where it stood, where it landed when it came from the sky. Paul, Paul tells them, remember when you did that? Remember when you bend the knee to that idol and what you did for that idol? That's who you used to be. But now, but now in Christ, but now as a believer, do not walk as you once walked. In the futility of your minds. You know, as I was reading this passage, I thought about, well, how can Christians live in futility? Because our hearts have been changed. God has saved us. He has put us aside for himself. And, and the Holy Spirit works through us. How can we live in futility? Well, first of all, what is futility? Well, it's, it's uselessness, basically. To be useless. To do something that's useless. There is no real, there, there's no real fruit from it. Christians can live that way. We see it all the time. We've experienced it as well in our own personal lives. Where we're saved by grace. God has saved us. It's not like we are saved and then unsaved and then saved again and then unsaved. We're saved by grace. And God's spirit, he He keeps us. He keeps us to the very end. But sometimes... We focus on things that have no value. And we live a life that that brings no value. How can Christians do this? Well, Christians do this when we walk in the flesh. That's why the Bible talks about walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. Even though we're saved, we have to make that conscious decision to walk in the flesh. The spirit versus walk in the flesh. So if we are focused on, on worldly things and we, we we live by worldly standards, even though we are Christians and we are walking by the flesh, even though the spirit is convicting us, and even though the word of God is telling us that we're living contrary to what God desires of us, yeah, that's that's futility. That's us living in disobedience to the word of God and the will of God. See, the difference between us who are saved and the world is that us, we are disciplined by our Lord. And if we continue to walk in futility, sooner or later, the discipline of the Lord will humble us to a point to where we say, okay, we, we get it. Because the Bible says the Lord's not going to let us go. We, he, he is holding us in his hand. So we finally say, okay, I, I, I get it. I, I need to do something about it. So when we walk in the flesh, look at what that produces. See, the reason why we are we need to, to be obedient to God's word is because it promotes unity within the body and it promotes growth. But when we walk in the flesh, it's the exact opposite. When we walk in the flesh, it, it promotes disunity. When we walk in the flesh, we can see that we are uni- we are not united. With, with the gathering of, of, of Christians, we're not, not united with the church. We're like living differently than they are. Now, listen, I know there's differences within the way we choose to live our lifestyles. And I know that some people see things as sin and some people don't. But we, for some of those things, we have that right. But there are some amongst us that are living completely different lives. They look more worldly than they do godly. And God says, through Paul, that's not the way you should live. That's living in futility. I have no use for those kind of people. I have no use for that kind of lifestyle. So yes, if we are not careful as Christians, we can live that way. And Paul talks about the depths of their futility. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says that those who live in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God. What did I tell you about the disunity there is? When we live in the flesh, we are alienated. We dis, we, we are We are basically, basically, we we disconnect ourselves with the body of believers. In a sense, we try to disconnect ourselves with God. That's why it's called falling away. But they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul saying, nope, you as a Christian don't live that way anymore. See, that's who these Christians were before Christ. But Christ has set them free. And Paul is making sure that they don't go back to verses 18 and 19, that they don't go back to living in that kind of way. We as a church need to look at Paul's message here to the Ephesian church. And we need to be very careful not to walk as unbelievers walk. We need to be very careful not to enslave ourselves to sin again. See, like the church in Ephesus, we need to be watchful of how the world around us is, number one, affecting us, but then also, number two, how it's affecting our families. We need to be very careful about that. See, the world around us is held captive to idol worship. It's like, it's like Ephesus all over again. It looks different, but it's the same thing. In Ephesus, it was a statue. There was business around the worship of Diana. We read in the book of Acts how there were people who made money off of the worship, off of her worship. So in a sense, she was like a cash cow. Brought a lot of money to a lot of people. Our world is no different today. There are people who worship things that bring money to them, and they tell you to worship the same thing. Not so that not because there's life in that thing, or not because that idol is real, but because it brings money to them. And so we live in a world that has a bunch of idols. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the same net. And we need to consider Paul's words here, that we do not walk, or we, need to, we, we no longer walk as unbelievers do. See, society is about self. First and foremost, it's about self. Uh, self-promotion, self-help, self-illumination, self-gratification, and self-preservation. It's, it's all about what's, what's in it for me. But listen, if we live a life thinking that, what's in it for me, how is that going to affect the body of Christ? You see, we don't live apart from the body of Christ. Christ, The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. We are a certain part, and all the parts together work as a whole. So if we are living our own lives if we are promoting if we are promoting ourselves if we're just worried about us our value if we're just worried about our reputation if we're worried about what we get out of it we are going to disconnect ourselves with the church and guess what we're going to disconnect ourselves with our families and, and and both of those relationships are going to struggle. Listen, within your families, mom, dad, you can't just be worried about yourself. If you're just worried about yourself, your, your family's gonna crumble. That's not what you're called to. Even the kids. Man, that's a daily battle to get them not to live for themselves because that's all they want to do. That's that sinful nature in them. It's all about me. And when it's when when it's not about them, they have a heart attack. But guess what? You need to bring them back to reality and say it's not about you. It's beyond you. It's about us as a family. See, kids need that because why? They're kids. But what's even more frustrating is when adults need that constant reminder that it's not about them. That it's about the church. It's about family. Ultimately, it's about Christ. So yes, self-promotion it, it disconnects us from the church. Self-help. When we think, "Oh, you know what? I, I don't need the church. I don't need to be part of the church. I really don't need my family. I don't need anyone close to me because I'm just going to figure this thing out for myself. I don't need the Word of God." There are many who claim to be Christians and think all those things that I just listed. But what does the word of God tell us? It tells us that if we're not connected to the vine, we can do nothing. If we don't have the word of God guiding us, we're not going to please God. Self-illumination. Self-gratification. Self-preservation. That one gets me. That one gets on my nerves a lot you know cuz this is where like the sin of abortion come in and then also on the other side on the back side this is where the sin of 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 i'm the most important thing in the world and i i just need to protect myself and not worry about anything else and let me explain this this self preservation there's the mentality that the world has that Number 1, abortion is right and good. But yet on this other side, with COVID-19, it's exposed the same people who think that abortion is right and good, they want you to wear your mask, you to do get vaccinated so that they don't get sick and die. Did you catch that? Abortion's okay. The death of a, a, another life is is okay as long as it's not the death of me I I don't care about anybody else I just care about me so right now there's this this whole push on, on you must get vaccinated you must wear your mask you must protect me doesn't matter what happens to you you must protect me but that baby in the womb, oh no, go ahead, get rid of it if you don't want it. That's the way society lives. We can go on and on and on. Sexual moral revolution, the whole LGBTQT, EFG, HIJ, whatever you want to add to it. That's being pushed down the church's throat to accept that. And if you don't accept it, you have hate. Cohabitation. Just living together. Living together outside of making a covenant with the Lord. In your relationship. Promiscuity. Now, I'm not going to mention names, but I thought it was the funniest thing. So I heard there's a church in town that was voted Victoria best of the best to meet, meet singles. Now listen, it's, it's pretty funny because this is from, this is a, a, a worldly society voting on that. Now are you telling me that this place where it's the best place in Victoria to meet singles, are you telling me that they are living according to God's word as they're meeting singles in this place? No, but a church is recognized as that. Best place to meet singles. Come on, man. Promiscuity in the church is a problem. So is pornography. It's a problem. This whole attack on, on how God has structured the family, it's a problem. If, if the man is considered the head of the household, oh my goodness, that's archaic. That's, that's not right. But yet, we go back to Genesis 3, tells us the role of family members and how the family is supposed to function. Listen, I, I mentioned these things, and it, it, would, it would seem that I'm only speaking about worldly things. But the whole reason why we need this today, not to go back to the way we used to live, is because these things that I mentioned, abortion, sexual moral revolution, this whole LGBTQ This whole cohabitation, promiscuity, pornography, on and on and on. These are not just problems of the world, these are issues that are happening in churches. This is happening in our fellowship. I guarantee. See, we can't be naive to it and think, oh no, we're all good. All these things, all sin, it's a product of self-worship. And Paul tells the Ephesian church, that is not the way you learned Christ. He says that in verse 20. Well, listen, if that's good enough for the Ephesian church, it's good enough for us. That is not the way you learned Christ. God has called you to be selfless in your life. In the way you live. To put him first. And to put each other second. And that's what we are called to do. So number one. We need to not live the way we used to. Sounds pretty simple right? Very hard to do. Every day. It's a choice. Every moment. It's a choice. Then. Paul gets into this. This is the second point. But within this second point, we have three different things that we have to consider what Paul is saying. Also, uh, I, I'm fast forwarding to verse, uh, verses 22 to 24. Now, he says, don't walk like you used to. Instead, you must walk in newness of life. Now, what I'm going to do today for you is I'm going to talk about the newness of life in general terms. Pastor Laramie next week will be getting more specific as to what that newness of life is and what... How Paul is, you know, what Paul is addressing with the believers here. I'm only going to speak to it in general terms. But he says this, if you're going to walk in newness of life. Put off your old self. That's where Paul starts. Verse 22. Put off your old self. It says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now when you see the words or the phrase putting off your old self it refers to repentance. It refers to repentance. So the newness of life begins with repentance. That's what it begins with. See, in order to walk in the new life in Christ, we we have to stop walking in Adam. That's what the Bible tells us. If, we, if you want to write this down, but go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 gives us a, a, a teaching on federal headship. What do I mean by federal headship? It's, it's who we belong to. Believers belong to Christ, He is our head. He is the head of, of, of the church. We belong to Him. We used to belong to Adam. How do we belong to Adam? Because we fell under sin. Adam brought sin into the world. We therefore fell into sin with Adam. He was our federal head. But when Christ saved us, he saved us from that life, and now we are under Christ. But this whole term, you know, this whole whole thing about headship, Paul is saying, You're not under Adam anymore. You're not ruled by your flesh anymore. When you were under Adam, you had to obey your flesh. You were held captive to your flesh. Now you're under Christ. Well, number one, Christ has set you free from the the bondage of slavery. Now you don't have to do it anymore. Now you're not controlled by the sin. You do it because you want to. That's why you do it. You do it because you want to. But Paul is saying, put that off. Put off your old self. In Adam, you were lost because you were separated from God. You, you live to please yourself above God and everybody else. And to that, Paul says, stop. I think it's very interesting that the very first thing we must do to walk in newness of life is stop. Right. I mean, you would think it's it's and get just get in there and get going. That's not what Paul says. Paul says stop. Now, it reminds me of my children whenever they're doing something wrong. When they're doing something wrong or they're about to break something, what do you do? Stop. Right. Depending on what they're doing stop you don't just give them instruction to go ahead and act a different way you usually tell them stop especially if something's going to hurt them they're going to damage something that's the first thing out of your mouth whenever you're talking to your kids stop are they talking back? you better stop right? am I the only one? I hope not first thing we do stop Listen, this is very important because there is an issue in the church. And the issue is, is, and when I say the church, I mean the universal church. The issue is, is that the teaching of repentance has either gone away or diminished. And what most Christians believe that repentance is is that they feel sorry for their sin. They're like, man, I... I did this sin, I hate it, and now I just feel bad. And they think, oh, you know, that's repentance. That's not repentance. That that may be the beginning of it. But listen, repentance is not complete until you stop. That's when it's complete. Until you stop. We don't get that. I know so many people who are just trapped in their sin and they think they're repenting just because they feel bad after they do it. But yet they continue to go back to it with no problem at all. If that is you, Paul is saying, and Paul is saying or God is saying through Paul, stop. Stop what you are doing. God finds no pleasure in it. It's futility. It's not bringing any value to your life. And it's not bringing any, any glory to God. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what you've, did, or what you've done. Repentance is a turning away from that sin. Paul said that sin is corrupting you through deceitful desires. When you look at the word corrupt it means to cause inner ruin. That is strong language. But we don't see our sin that way. When we, thought, we start thinking about our former way of life a lot of times we, we glorify that life. We kind of look back at it and we'll glorify it because we're thinking of the different memories we had or the different things we experienced. See the problem with sin is that it, it actually it feels good when you're going through it. But the end product is death. The end product is, 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 is anything but good. And what we don't realize is that we continue to run back to that sin and it's, it's, it's tearing us apart from the inside. It's corrupting us. That's all sin. I know it's easy to say that for those sins that are very evident, but, but even the sin of pride. It's corrupting us. We need to be careful that it doesn't ruin us. Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, you're not that person anymore. Christ has set you free from sin. You have been separated from Adam and you have been united with Christ. Therefore, walk in newness of life and stop what you are doing. Verse 23, he also says, If you're going to walk in newness of life, you must be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, when you look at this, there are two ways you can go here, at least that I think. You can go on the route of justification or you could go the route of sanctification. But Paul can't be speaking about justification here because God is the one who does the renewing. He is the one who renews us once and for all and and then we're changed and then we go on to sanctification. So what Paul is speaking about here is he's speaking about spiritual growth. He's speaking speaking about sanctification. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds means the growth that's taking place through the power of God in us as we live according to his word. That's what Paul is saying. You must first uh, put off your old self. Secondly, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. After we put off our old self, Paul says we must walk in accordance to the word of God so that we can experience a renewal of life. We can experience new behaviors. We can seek after what pleases the Lord and we can go away or turn away from what does not please the Lord. So in a sense, we think differently, we act differently from our corrupted nature. We resemble Christ more in our thoughts and actions. Paul's saying, listen, be renewed. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about us quenching the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit's presence presence is evident in us when we walk in obedience we quench it whenever we walk in disobedience it doesn't mean that the spirit is no longer there it's just not as evident. just think of it as a fire that's burning bright when we're obeying the word of God everybody can see it but what happens when we're not obeying God well we throw some dirt on that fire it's still going it's just smoldering it's not a big flame anymore Paul says we must walk in obedience to the word. We are going to be renewed by it. And the more we walk in obedience to God's word, the more we are washed by the word and the more we grow spiritually. How is that? Well, God grows the believer as they walk in obedience to his word. God is renewing us into the image of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We can't do this work without God, but we're involved in this work. And then finally he says, put on the new self. Look at verse 24. He says, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, as we put on the new self, that speaks to our worship of God as we live a life of repentance and obedience. Jesus said that my followers will worship me in spirit and in truth. Paul says here we must worship him in true righteousness and holiness. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Sounds pretty similar. The old self in Adam, well, we know that that was corrupt. But the new self in Christ is both righteous and holy. I love the language here that that we as a church, we're the ones who are charged with taking off the old self, renewing our minds, And putting on the new image. Because many people just sit back and think, Well, God's gonna do all of it. I I don't have to do anything. It's like autopilot, boom. He's gonna grow me, he's gonna do this, he's gonna do that. I I just kinda just live my life and eventually things good things will happen. I don't know where you learned that from, it wasn't here. Paul speaks to how involved we are in this process. Put off your old self. It requires us to repent. Be renewed in the spirit of of our minds. It requires us to walk in obedience to God's word so that we can grow from that. Put on the new self. That requires us to actively worship God in everything that we do. If I'm a father... I'm going to be the best father I can, not so that I can get the glory, but so that God can get the glory. And it's worship for me. If I'm a husband, same thing. Out of reverence for Christ, for the glory of God. If I'm a pastor, same thing. Out of reverence for Christ and for the glory of God. See, my old nature, the, the, the Adam nature, and I have to fight that all the time, it was, it was what are you going to get out of it? Are things fair to you? What's happening to you? Me, 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 me. And so whenever I have a pity party, I have to remember I'm not that person anymore. But yet, it's a struggle all the time. As a, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, it's a struggle all the time. Not to go back to that old nature. Starts to creep in. I start to get mad. And I realize, man, you're doing it again. We need to put on the new self that is in Christ. We are called to be righteous, we are called to be holy. And the only way we're going to do that is in Christ. And I love how he ends when he says that our new nature is created in the likeness of our Father. You know, you know the biggest difference in how you can, how you know that you've put off the old self and put on the new self? Well, you know that when you are a reflection of God. Now, An imperfect reflection. But you reflect his goodness. When you're not doing it for yourself, when you're not doing it for your own gain, when you're doing it for for the promotion and the honor and glory of God, and also when you're doing it for the betterment of the church, that's how you know you're walking in newness of life. That's where we need to be if we are going to be united as a church. That's where we need to be if our families are going to be united as they, as they should be. Brothers and sisters, listen to me very carefully here. And this is, this is from the bottom of my heart, and this is something that I've learned within my own, within my own marriage. There, there is a, a deep rooted issue in the church and it starts from the top down within families marriage is under attack the roles of father and mother under attack and it continues to go down into the family down into the children And listen, if you sit there and you pray about your family, and even outside of that, if you sit there and you pray for your church, you need to remember that you are part of that. You make a difference in that. And the problems that are in your family, the problems that are in your church, guess who they start with? They Start with you. See, we twist it, turn it around, and we look at other people, and we're like, they're the problem. Listen, no doubt, they're the problem. But guess who else is the problem? You're the problem. And we're not going to be able to fix our marriages on our own. We're not going to be able to fix our families on our own. We're not going to be able to fix our church on our own. And we can't make things up as we go. There are a lot of people who have the mentality of just just let's not say anything about it. And hopefully it's going to disappear and we'll get through it. Listen, it's not going to disappear. God here in Ephesians chapter four has talked about unity what Christian unity is, why we are united. That's why I went back and did the recap. Why we are united, what unity looks like, and also how to maintain that unity. And look, things don't just disappear. What God is saying in Ephesians chapter 4 is that you must not walk in the way that you used to, because that's what's causing all the issues in your relationships. Don't walk that way anymore. And secondly, you must walk in newness of life. So if you're going to do that, your problems just aren't going to disappear. Number one, you must stop. You must repent. Secondly, you must take the word of God seriously. You must learn it. You must live it. You must obey it through the good, bad, and ugliness of life, that is your lifeline. The word of God. It's supposed to be changing you. And then Paul also says, you got to put on the new self. Everything you do, you got to do it for the honor and glory of God things aren't just going to go away God has given you the blueprint here you have to decide if you're going to walk in newness of life you have to decide if you're going to obey him you're going to have to make a decision is your way better which hasn't worked you continue to go through the same things over and over and over and over again is your way better or is the Lord's way better well listen Our ways are not like his ways. We really need to consider what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. I pray that that my words have not fallen on deaf ears. I think this is an important message for not only our church, but, the, but your church as a whole. There are a lot of deep-rooted problems within your bride. We have not lost hope, though. We know that you are growing your bride through, even through its sin, and that you are preparing her for yourself. But Lord, we do ask for help to live the life that we should live, to live the life that we are called to live. And as believers, we must recognize that, that it begins with stopping, stopping the sinful habits that we have that we have had in the past, stopping to live for the enemy. We must repent. We must consider your word for what it is. It is your divine word that has been given to us to shape and, 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 and guide our lives. We must see your word as, it, as ultimate authority because it is spoken by you. And we must humble ourselves We must realize that our life, the life that you have created us for, the life you have called us to live, is not for us, but it's for you and for each other. For Lord, until we learn these things, we will struggle with unity. We will struggle with problems within our families, in our churches. Help us to understand that making a difference starts with us. I pray that those who are here take the time to pray during this last song. If they need to pray as a family, I pray that they do that. If they need to pray, With another brother or sister in Christ, I pray that they do that. But, Lord, you have spoken to their hearts. Just pray that they walk in obedience to what you have spoken to them. In Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks. Amen.